0: He's offering you a call to be forgiven of your sins and to enter into his vineyard and work for his kingdom, for his glory. But again, there's nothing meritorious in you and me that deserves the call of God.
1: What is God's calling on your life? This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. The Bible says that work is good for our souls. So what is the relationship between the work we do for a living and God's spiritual calling on our lives? Today, David takes us to the 20th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus gives us the parable of the laborers in the vineyard.
0: You ready to go now? Here we go into the next parable. Let me begin by saying to all of you uh, that Marilyn and I really enjoy our day off together. Uh, In fact, on our day offs, we just go be with each other, drink coffee together, and just have fun together. In fact, we would say if we gave any of you a tip that would help make your marriage make it until the end, that would be the tip. Have one day together where you're just loving one another and caring for one another, talking with one another. In fact, on Friday, May the 20th of this weekend, Marilyn and I celebrated our 38th anniversary together. Can you believe that's possible, that anyone would spend that number of years with me? That's amazing to me. Uh, She has put up with so much, but she's the love of my life. We've made it. And one of the major reasons we've made it, we're going to continue to make it till the end, is we spend time together. Like kids spell love, T-I-M-E. Couples should spell love, T-I-M-E. You need to spend time together. So Marilyn and I love to take Fridays, that's our day off because obviously I work on the weekends, and spend that time together. And in the afternoon, we love to watch a movie together. We, We scroll through all the possible movies to find one we really would enjoy. And the ones we enjoy the most are the movies where at the end there's an aha and we look at one another and say, I didn't see that coming. You with me? You look at each other and go, man, where did that come from? What a great ending, how it all tied together. Wow, that's a great movie. Well, this parable we're about to look at has one of those aha, I didn't see that coming moments from the lips of Jesus. A parable is a story that has an earthly uh, motive with a heavenly significance. This parable is Matthew, the 20th chapter, verses 1 through 16, the word of the Lord. For the kingdom of heaven, there's that theme again, the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The word of the Lord. So you need to know the context of this parable. Real quickly, in Matthew 19, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he asks, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus responds, obey all of the commandments and you'll have eternal life. And the rich young ruler said, I've done every one of them. Can you imagine the arrogance? I've perfectly obeyed every single one of the 10 commandments every day of all of my life. Jesus said, okay, well, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And the text says, and the rich young ruler went away sad because he had great wealth. You know what Jesus did with him, don't you? He took him to the 10th commandment. When we really think about it, maybe the one we all break the most. Thou shalt not covet. And he realized this guy loved money. Somehow Jesus was able to look into his heart and realize he really loved money. So he penetrated the one commandment he didn't keep. And when he realized he didn't, he walked away sad. Then Peter steps to the plate and says, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. (laughs) Notice his arrogance. What's going to be our reward? And then in response to Peter's question about his reward, Jesus tells this parable. Now, let me break it down for you so you can understand it. First of all, there's the call. And the call is given by the master who is Jesus himself. And the call is the gospel. It's the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's the yielding of your life to Jesus after you've received forgiveness for your sins and becoming a worker in his kingdom. And the word call here means entreated, persuaded, invited, And notice that God in Jesus is the one who initiates the call. Dear friends, there's nothing meritorious within you or me to make ourselves worthy of the call of God. His call is based simply upon his grace. And because he wants you and me, if indeed you've responded rightly to that call, to be in his vineyard. But you see, most of us sin and run away from God. Then we hide, don't we? God's the one who has to pursue us. God's the initiator of the call. (laughs) Now, I can remember when I was a kid, one of the things the kids in our neighborhood loved to do was to make water balloons. Any of you ever been there? And then you hide behind trees or on a hill, and when a car comes by, what do you do? You blast the car with water balloons. And then the car does what? Screeches to a halt. If it's a guy, he usually gets out of the car. If it's a gal, she'll roll down the window first and then get out of the car. And look around for who threw the water balloons. And then what do the kids then do? They run away and hide. And they think it's the coolest thing in the world. No one waits around to greet the one who wants to hold them accountable for throwing the water balloon, right? In the same way, you and I rebel against the moral law of God. We throw water balloons, disobeying his will, and then we run from him and we hide from him. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. Remember the moment they sin, what'd they do? They ran away and put fig leaves across their loins, And it was God who had to come to them, and he asked the question, remember, where are you? Now, God knew where they were. God's omniscient, he knew where Adam and Eve were. But what did he want? He wanted them to stop hiding. He wanted them to own up to what they'd done. But they wouldn't. They hid. So you need to understand, if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or if you're a spiritual seeker here, and I'm so glad if you're here, God is the one pursuing you. I don't think you'd be here right now if God wasn't pursuing you. And he's offering you a call to be forgiven of your sins and to enter into his vineyard and work for his kingdom, for his glory. But again, there's nothing meritorious in you and me that deserves the call of God. He calls us simply because he... Calls us because he wants to call us. And if you're in his kingdom, you're in his kingdom because for some reason he looked at you and said, I-, I want you on my team. Have you responded to that call? The The next step in the play is the different hours of the day responding to the call. Uh, so that there are, first of all, workers at 6 a.m. in the morning who the master comes and calls them to come work in his vineyard. And they say yes with an agreed upon amount of one denarius uh, for their work. So they were going to work 12 hours the end of the day 6 p.m. for one denarius. Now that denarius would be equal in today's monetization to around four days worth of work. And it would feed a small family in Jesus' day. So note that the call to the 6 a.m. workers was extraordinarily generous. For 12 hours worth of work, they get four days worth of supplies. So so start off there with me. It was a wonderfully generous agreement. So they go into the vineyard, and they start working. Now, at 9 a.m., the master comes back to the marketplace and looks for more workers. And we don't know why. It could be that the harvest was so huge, he needed more workers. Or it could be, since he was a very adept farmer, he looked on the horizon, saw a storm brewing, and realized, before the storm hit, he needed more workers to get the crops in. So another group is called in, and they make an agreement, and they go into the vineyard. Then at 12 p.m., he comes back and gets more, for whatever reason, we're not sure. And to them, he says, I'll pay you what's fair. They go, that's fine with us. They go into the vineyard. Then at three o'clock in the afternoon, he comes back and does the same thing. Offers them a fair wage. They go, okay, and they go to work. Then at 5 p.m., an hour before closing, he invites yet another group of people hanging around idly in the marketplace to come work for him. They two agree, and he says, I'll pay you fairly. And then that act closes as well. The next act is the different payments. So in the story, the first people who are paid are the 5 p.m. workers. Now now that's reversal, really, because in most scenarios, it'd be the 6 a.m. workers who'd be paid first. But Jesus says this master begins with the 5 p.m. workers. And he gives them a denarius. He gives them four days worth of labor for an hour's worth of work. Wow. Then the three PM workers come and he gives them a denarius for three hours worth of work. They get four days worth of pay. (laughs) And then here come the 12 o'clock workers and he gives them a denarius. For six hours work, they get four days worth of payment. And then the 9 a.m. workers come, and he gives them a denarius, and they get four days worth of work for seven, what is it, eight hours worth of work. Now, here's where it's like a great Friday movie with Marilyn, where you go, I didn't see that one coming. The 6 a.m. workers come. And you can just imagine in their minds, they're going ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. I mean, we've been working 12 hours and these all guys have gotten a denarius. Now, we agreed to a denarius, but surely he's going to give us more, more, more. And the boss gives them a denarius. For their 12 hours worth of work, they got four days worth of pay. Now, let me ask you real quickly, do the 6 a.m. workers really have anything to gripe about? I mean, really, they're being paid generously even though they've worked longer than the other people. Now, the 6 a.m. workers got their denarius and what's their response? Like little children. That's not fair. That's just not fair. We work 12 hours as opposed to all these other idiots who worked much less than we did. How come we get paid the same thing? And their hearts start to be filled with the snare to compare, something that all of us deal with. God, why are you blessing blankety blank over there more than me? And then their hearts start being filled with resentment and envy. Now, real quickly, you need to know that Jesus chose one of them to respond to. Perhaps he was the largest and loudest grumbler. Perhaps he was the one making the most scene. But he responds to him with a beautiful word. Did you note it? He calls him friend. called him friend. <laughs> he said, are you resentful? Because I'm generous? Then he asks another question, don't don't I have the right to give what I want to give to whomever I want to give it? Then he says, the first will be last and the last will be first. We'll talk about that in just a second. Hold on to it. The story ends. And, And all of us are asking the question, what is this story trying to tell us? The parable's kingdom truth. Now, remember, every parable we've studied over the last weeks has a kingdom of God truth in it. So remember, we did the parable of the sower and the soils. The kingdom truth there is, every soil there is a human heart. Either have a hard heart, a shallow heart, a busy heart, or a heart that receives the word of the gospel of the kingdom of God, and it goes deeply within you, and you produce 30, 60, 100-fold fruits. So if your heart has really received the gospel of the kingdom, you should be bearing great fruit for God. And then there was another parable that talked about, hey, but you need to know that in this kingdom, there are going to be wheat and tares, people who say they're Christians but aren't really Christians. Powerful message, like Matthew 7, where Jesus said, not all those who call me Lord, Lord, are going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who bear fruit for me And then there's the kingdom of God parable about how you discover the hidden treasure or the pearl of great price, and you're willing to give up everything to own Jesus, who is the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. And there was another kingdom parable we looked at and said this kingdom is for the entire world. It's to be taken throughout the entire world and where Israel failed, the church is called to take the gospel into the entire world. It'll start in a small way, another parable said, but grow to be like a big tree It has many birds from all over the world nesting in its branches. So there's a parable truth about the kingdom in every parable we've studied.
1: You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David and I dig into one of his most popular Davidisms. Don't spend today's energy on tomorrow's worries. We'll be right back.
0: This is the Ministry Minute focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte.
2: Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of Hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick all of you there dean we all been phenomenal for us uh you you've been there since 08 when we started king's kitchen and and that kind of grew into the dream center and the meals we've fed the last eight weeks probably exceeding 55,000 now i guess uh we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have and uh what do you think,
0: yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food; it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, in um, J.T. Williams and Thomasboro and Re Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals, and, and we just thank. You moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom
2: and not only that but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the dream center now This week started producing meals there, and as the restaurants opened back up, all the meals were shipped to the Dream Center with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful for you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope, and we just pray an unlimited return and harvest on the seeds you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope. I'm Jen Houston, and with me is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi,
0: Jen. It is great being with you as well.
1: Well, David, in one of your morning e-devotions, you recently brought up a point that worrying takes a lot of energy. Let's talk about that a little bit.
0: Yeah, here's exactly the Davidism, Jen, as we affectionately call Mm -hmm. these phrases that I've learned through the years from my mom, my dad, coaches, mentors, friends, sometimes just something I've read and I don't remember from where it came. But this one is very profound. Don't spend today's energy on tomorrow's worries. So let me ask everyone listening right now, Jen, you included, Uh and me too. (laughs) Are you a worrier? Yes. Yeah, I'm afraid I do too sometimes. Well, then how much time do you spend imagining worst case scenarios? Mm. My fear is that many of us do that very thing. Thinking about what could happen, what might go wrong, is a course of our day's daily calendar, if you Mm -hmm. will. Here's a piece of advice, though. When your mind starts to worry about all the things that might or slash could happen, stop it. (laughs) Don't do it. Don't spend today's energy on tomorrow's worries. All we are promised is today. That's the only guarantee God has given us this day. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus also taught us that tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Don't focus your daily energy today on what may happen tomorrow. You don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. That's Matthew 6, 34. In fact, some studies suggest that 90% of what we worry about never happens. So, Jen, think about this. List out your 10 foremost worries and then cross off nine of them. Hmm. They'll probably never happen, statistically proven, by scientists. So when you focus on today, you realize that worry is wasteful, useless. It's like paying interest on a loan that's not yet due. And when you're focused on tomorrow, what may lie ahead, you're using today's energy to address tomorrow's worries. Again, stop it. Don't do it. It's useless. Worry is a thief. It burdens your heart and steals your joy. And whenever you start to worry, remind yourself, don't spend today's energy on tomorrow's worries or, said another way in the scripture, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you, First Peter 5, 7, how much... We are loved by the Lord, and when we give Him our problems, we can live today to the full without the anxiety eroding our souls.
1: Well, it's funny. I'm so glad you use that word anxiety because... In your book, Moving Beyond Anxiety, this is something that you do a deep dive in, and it has really helped me just to untangle the root and and trace it. You know, you trace the worries, and really, like you said, nine out of 10, they're not gonna happen. Yeah,
0: and it's all in your thought life, Jen. It's funny, the word anxiety means a double-minded person. Literally translated in the Greek, it means a double-minded person. Your mind is either focused on the Lord and casting all your cares on Him, or your mind is focused on the worries which again, 90% never happened. What's the rational thing to do? What's the godly thing to do? Obviously, it's to practice this discipline. Mm -hmm. Don't spend today's energy on tomorrow's worries.
1: Wow, that's so powerful. Thank you so much, David. Thank
0: you, Jen. And if you listeners would like to receive this daily written Moment of Hope, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. You'll receive every morning at 7 a.m. From my heart to yours, this written Moment of Hope. It's my way of you starting your day with great hope.
1: This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both nine and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also, check out David's weekly HopeCast. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to connect with a friend who may be lonely today.